Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. It is without a doubt, Noah's Ark is without a doubt one of the most beloved stories in the Bible. It's one of the classic children's stories that we teach in Sunday school. But maybe this story is more for the adults than actually for the kids. If we were to take a serious look at this story, we just might see some parallels going on in our own time. As we will see in Noah's time, mankind had become wicked and their thoughts were constantly evil. When we stop and look at our world today, what do we see? We see how places of worship are compared to other organizations or sports or businesses are mistreated and are not treated equally. We see our nation has legally ordained same-sex marriages. And if you're a person who bakes cakes as a baker for a living, well, somehow it seems to be okay to cancel them or try to destroy their business if by their own religious grounds they don't want to make a cake. You know, I have yet to see this done to an Islamic baker We see that the wiping out of unborn babies is somehow spoken of as okay. We see that the extreme corruption in the entertainment industry or in the political realm, and yet the list could just go on and on of all the different things we see. The true story of Noah is about God's holiness and His sovereignty about salvation and damnation. And it's about a story of one man's godly faith in a world that is saturated in corruption and wickedness and evil. So maybe the story of Noah and the ark is just more than a children's story. Now in all the world, clearly Noah wasn't just in the minority, he was the minority. Yet Noah had the courage to still have faith in God when the rest of the world all around him were choosing evil and wickedness. He truly was a hero, a hero of faith. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. 
You know, in another translation, it says in verse 8, by the message, it says, Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. So, in a world of corruption and chaos, what made Noah so different? Why did God find favor in Noah? And the answer is, Noah had faith in God. So let's take a look at what characteristics about Noah stand out. The first one would be this. Noah believed God. I don't mean that Noah merely believed in the idea of God or believed in God. No, 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 no. Which, of course, that's what he did. But Noah's faith went beyond intellectual consent or agreement in the idea of God. No, Noah actually really believed that what God said, God was actually going to do. He believed in God. He actually believed God. And Noah believed God in spite of what the world around him was doing. Noah must have faced huge pressure, intimidation by the community he lived in and, and even by the extended family that must have been away from him. Try to put yourself in the shoes of Noah. What would it have been like for you? So let's go now to Genesis chapter 6. Let's start at verse 11 and 12. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God reserved all the, this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. Verse 13, God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Now, at first, we might think that this was a, a description of modern-day America. But the parallels... It's just not as close to what we would think. Noah had it way worse. Sure, we have our share of corrupt politicians and entertainers, and there's violence and riots. But thank God that the good news of Jesus has spread throughout the world. There are still... Even though we're surrounded by violence and crime and corruption, there are still billions of Christ followers who pray, who are scattered throughout the world, who are acting as salt and light in this world. Imagine if you and your immediate family were the only ones in church this Sunday. I didn't mean the only family in your church, but the only family in any church service in the whole world. It wasn't easy for Noah to, to go against the grain, to make the decision to believe God when everyone else in the whole world had turned their backs on God. See, earlier in Genesis and in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, it says this, Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. And there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. I want you to note something. This scripture, this passage tells us 
It had never rained. It's difficult to discern whether the lack of rain was a temporary deal or a permanent situation, but a lot of credible scholars believe that rain had not fallen on the earth from the time of creation until the time of the world flood. Rather, underground springs is where all the water came up for their crops and for, well, for their cooking and cleaning and the like. Building a massive boat so far away from a large body of water is one thing. But preparing for a flood when no one on earth has ever seen or heard of water falling from the sky? He must have just sounded like a lunatic. It took a great deal of faith and of courage for Noah to follow God when everyone else in the world was going in the opposite direction. You know, there's a little story about a guy named Mike Delcavo. Um, he was a cross-country racer. And he was in an NCAA cross-country championship uh, tournament there in Riverside, California. And 123 out of 128 runners missed a turn. I, I, I said that correctly. 123 of the 128 all made the wrong turn. Only five made the right turn. And so here they are on this 10,000 meter course. And, and as, as this Mike is making the turn, he's yelling to the guy saying, come on, come this way. Let's go this way. This is the right turn. He can only convince four. Only five of them actually ran the correct course. 123 were all disqualified. They asked Mike, they said, hey, how did you respond when he talked to all those other runners? And they said, we thought it was funny that he went the way that he did. And they mocked him. You see, when you're following the right course, sometimes the masses won't get it and they'll laugh at you. See, it takes courage to go the right way, to go the godly way when everyone else is going the wrong way. It takes faith to keep going despite the laughter and the mocking by the crowd. Instead of just following them and feeling like you're fitting in. But being right rarely means ever being popular. And faith requires us to believe that trusting God often in spite of popular opinion, may just bring about some persecution. His name's William Penn, and he once said this, right is right, even when everyone else is against it. And wrong is wrong, even when everyone else is for it. Well, let's look at number two. The characteristics about Noah that stand out. Number two, Noah built out of obedience. Noah built just what God told him to build. The Bible says Noah did everything God commanded him. So let's look at Genesis 6, starting at verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar. 
inside and outside. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. You know, today we're so familiar with this Bible story that sometimes we can miss the magnitude of the project that Noah had to do. More importantly, we miss the magnitude of his great faith in God. Some ask, how how long did it take Noah to build that ark? And the Bible does not specifically tell us that. Well, when Noah was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, he is 500 years old. And when Noah enters the ark, in, he's about 600 years old. So sometimes people will say that, you know, he spent 100 years to build it. But we don't know that. The time it took to build the ark would have depended on how much time had passed between when God told him to build the ark in Genesis chapter 6 to the time that God told him to go into the ark there in Genesis chapter 7. And that part is silent. We don't quite know. Some scholars say 20 years, 40 years, 60 years. But we're not quite sure. Now, I've got some trivia for you. How many pigs and how many horses would have gone into the ark. Many would say, two of each, two horses, two pigs. Well, okay, let's see what the Bible actually says about that. You might be surprised. So in Genesis 7, starting at verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, excuse me, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Now here's where it comes. Take with you, Seven pairs of every kind of clean animals. A male and its mate. Seven pairs, a male and its mate, that means 14. So it would have been 14 horses. Okay. And one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. That means two boys, two girls, a total of four pigs, because they're an unclean animal. And also, seven pairs or 14, of every kind of bird, a male and his female, to keep the various kinds alive throughout the earth. So how? How did we get this so wrong in Sunday school? Well, let's look at verse 9, and I think there might be a reason why we didn't catch this or why the Sunday school teacher didn't catch it. Because when you read this verse, it's easy to miss What's really being said. Verse 9. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah. Male and female. As God commanded Noah. This verse is only telling us. About how the animals entered into the ark. They came in pairs. But it doesn't tell us how many pairs. That's where we find it in chapter 7. So now you got the truth about how many animals were actually going in to the ark. And it wasn't just two. 
Now, you know, there's some folks have claimed that a boat, even as big as Noah's boat, could not be large enough to contain, to carry all the kinds of animals and the water and the food for everything and and all these supplies for a whole year of being on that boat, on the ark. Well, let's watch this video as it really goes after that question. Let's watch it together. Lots of people say there's no way that two of every known species in the world could fit onto Noah's Ark. You know what? We agree. But the truth of the matter is that the Bible doesn't claim that's what happened. So if we really want to get to the truth of it, we're going to need to see what the Bible really says about all this and then ask three questions. How many animals are we really talking about? How big were they? And how big was the Ark? We answer those, we're closer to understanding the truth. Make sense? Good. So how many animals are we really talking about here? Well, let's jump back to move forward, shall we? Let's take a peek at day five of creation week and do a plain reading of Genesis 1 verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. Jump ahead to Genesis 1:25, day six, the same day man and woman were created, and here's what we get. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. So there you have a very clear account of the land and sea creatures created by God according to their kinds. Now, take a look at the phrase, according to their kind. What does it mean? Is it the same as species? I don't think so. It's possible that it's closer to what we call families in the typical biology class today, with some exceptions. Keep in mind that species is a man-made definition anyway. Confused? Huh? Let me explain. Let's take the dog kind, for example. We'll call the female dog taken on the ark Bingo, because that's the name of my first dog. Okay, from Bingo and her mate, you can get the various species of coyote, wolf, and even domestic dogs like the Border Collie, Great Dane, Poodle, and so on. You get it? The different species we have now could have easily been generated after the flood from the information already present within the parent kind. So kind isn't the same as species at all. And a plain reading of the Bible teaches that Noah only had to take the representatives of the different kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. You don't believe me? Take a look for yourself. Genesis 6.20, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. That's as clear as it gets, folks. Simple instructions of what to take and what not to take. And in case we need further understanding, Understanding of what God meant, he clarifies by telling us what died outside the ark. Genesis 7:22, and in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Okay, so he's not talking about any sea creatures being on the ark. Not the tiniest seahorse or the largest whale. Because the last time we checked, they weren't swimming around on dry land. He's also not talking about plant life or single-celled organisms or bacteria. No, only things that have the breath of life in its nostrils and are on dry land. That's great, you say. But how many original kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing creatures are on the ark? Well, to be quite honest, we weren't there, and I don't have the time for each and every detail. But one leading ark researcher did a whole bunch of calculations and was very generous with the numbers he used. He selected the genus level and found that there are less than 8,000 kinds, or about 16,000 individual animals. So let's just round up to say 30,000 and then call it even. It'll make the math easier anyway. Could 30,000 animals fit on the ark described in Genesis? That's a good question. Glad you asked. To answer it, we have to take a look at two more things. The size of the average animal and the size of the ark. Makes sense? Of course it does. Moving on. We can't list every animal, but we've got things from the various bird kinds to the elephant kind, from the various dinosaur kinds to the smallest mammal kinds, and so on and so on and so on. So you take all the young adult animals, because nothing says the animals had to be the oldest and biggest, and you look at all the various sizes we know of today, even from the fossil record, and you do some calculating, you come to the conclusion that the average size of the land animal is actually smaller than a sheep. But let's just use a sheep as the average size for the sake of argument. So now we've got the size of the average animal, a sheep, and we have the maximum number of sheep, 30,000. So are we going to need a bigger boat? Well, let's see how big it really was and if 30,000 sheep could fit on it. 
back of the Bible. Genesis 6.15, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Genesis 6.16, you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Using what's known as the small cubit, that makes the ark approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high, with three decks, a door, and a window. So this ain't no canoe or a bathtub boat with giraffe heads poking out of it. This is a huge, seaworthy vessel. The total available floor space on the ark would have been over 100,000 square feet. The total cubic volume would have been 1,518,000 cubic feet, which is about the capacity of 522 railroad stock cars. So we're getting down to the nitty gritty here, folks. How many sheep can fit into 522 stock cars? Well, just so happens I know the answer. The average double-deck railroad stock car can fit about 240 sheep. Now that's a lot of wool. So 522 stock cars holding 240 sheep-sized animals each gives us the hefty total of 125,280 sheep-sized creatures that could have fit onto the ark. Remember, we only needed to fit 30,000 on it, and 30,000 is almost two times the already generous estimate of animals necessary to represent all the species we see today. So it's easy to see that with more realistic numbers, there was plenty of room for cages, food, and even fresh water for the duration of the year-long stay that these animals had to be on the ark. And you know what? Ark researchers have studied this too, and I'll let you look that up. So there you have it. Simple reading of scripture, simple math, basic science. This fallible claim against the Bible is debunked. Adios. Well, obviously, Noah had plenty of room aboard his ark for all the animals, all the food, all the supplies, everything that would have been needed to survive a whole year. The main point that can be missed in all of this debating is that, is that Noah is a man of great faith in a world full of corruption. Noah obeyed God and built the ark in every detail, the way God required it. The author of the book of Hebrews emphasizes this fact. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Folks, obedience is part of having and living by faith. And when we've learned to believe and to build out of obedience as Noah did, then we, like Noah, number three, will be blessed. Noah was blessed for believing and obeying. When it was all over, the rain had stopped and the waters had receded and the ark ran aground. The Bible says here in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Did you catch that? Then God blessed Noah. When? When he believed God? When he built? Obeyed? And now God has blessed him. Following this blessing, God placed a rainbow in the sky as a sign of a new covenant. A covenant with humanity, with all creation, with the earth. That God would not destroy humanity and all that He ever created ever again. A rainbow. See, genuine faith 
recognizes that God alone is sovereign. And uh, although we certainly can, God can actually bless us the way we want Him to bless us, but the truth is, is God doesn't necessarily mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to do it that way. It says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God may not always keep us from the suffering that this world and its corruption brings, but God does promise to work out for the good of those who love Him and for those who have been called according to His purposes. Folks, we all know that we live in a world that is fallen, in a world that is corrupt. It is clearly proving to be a world that is more and more anti-Christian. And it's a world that is embracing wickedness. And the question is, in the face of all this, just like Noah and all the world that he faced, What are you going to do? What about you? Will you choose to be like Noah? Or will you choose to be like the world? Will you have a character that chooses to believe? Will you have a character that will choose to build out of obedience? Will you choose to stay the course when the masses are running in the wrong direction and are laughing at you? Will you stand up for your faith in God even if they make you the target? The good news is when you believe, when you build out of obedience, God provides His favor and His blessing. Faith, like Noah, is something that must be determined way before the storm hits. Way before The rain comes. So hey, Christian, may you choose this day to be like Noah. Because if you wait, wait for when the storm hits, well, it might just be a little bit too late. And you just might find you're on the wrong side of that door. I pray you would see the seriousness of the times we're in. And you would choose to follow God, to follow Jesus, no matter what the world says or does. Father, I pray blessing on your people. Lord, bizarre times we live in, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to choose to follow you, no matter what the world throws at us. Now bless your people, I pray, in Jesus' holy name, amen. Hey, God bless, guys. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.